Thank you very much, Anita. Wanted to also mention that Doris Sando had a couple pins removed from her hip this week, and she's in general and should be there at least till tomorrow. And then also wanted to mention that our granddaughter Olivia will have her heart surgery this Wednesday, sometime Wednesday morning, if you would like to pray about that. Ruth Ann and I are planning to go up for a couple of days during that surgery. And also, I probably would have forgot, but my wife reminded me, I mentioned last week I didn't have a way to hide it. I had two biopsies done and got the results this week and they both came back okay. No, nothing to worry about. So thankful for that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the life we have in Christ. Thank you for the word. And as we interact with your word, we want to be those who are hearers and doers of your word for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Gary Ann Pollock gave birth to Wyatt on January 4th of this year. So, Gary Ann, I have a couple questions for you. What did Wyatt weigh at birth? Seven pounds, seven ounces. Does he desire food? All the time. How much does he weigh at the present or close? He's got to be at least close to 17 pounds. Okay, close to 17 pounds. Do you expect him to gain more weight? Do you expect him to grow to be an adult? Now think about birth. At birth, there is a transformation. But if the transformation stops, when I say transformation, to go from the womb to live in the world, there's dozens and dozens of things that happen in a baby's body for that to be a reality. And when a person goes from being a sinner to a saint, from death to life, there's a transformation takes place. But that transformation, if it stopped at birth, we all become alarmed. Because the growth and the transformation, the change, is to be continuing. And I think we need to realize that whether it be in the physical realm or spiritual realm, there's a change at birth. But that change is not to be stopping at birth. There's some type of change to be continuing. And we've been discussing what is the gospel. And we found that the gospel involves a message. The gospel involves conviction by the Holy Spirit. The gospel involves entering into some relationships. And the gospel involves a transformation not only when one comes to faith in Christ, but also the future. And we found that the message message involves a creator God. It involves the fall, the sin, the separation that came because of Adam and Eve and their choices. It involves God's grace where God pursues humans. And it involves Jesus Christ. Who he is as a person, his character, his work through the death and resurrection and his present glory. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, as we discussed, involves conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, 
according to John chapter 16. Then the Spirit works and there is repentance. And there's also faith in Christ. Upon repentance of sin and faith in Christ, we enter into relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. There's an intimacy, there's a bond there because of Christ and what He has done. We enter into relationship with the body of Christ. We become part of the body of Christ. The one and others are to be lived out and applied. And we have a relationship with the world. We're to be ambassadors. And as we discussed the last two weeks, as you think about going to school in your home, as you go to your job, as you drive, as you shop, as you take care of all of life, live as an ambassador. You're representing God. You're living in a foreign country. Your home is in heaven, not here if you're a believer in Christ. Now, this morning we want to look at the transformation that takes place. And when I say immediate transformation, I'm talking about what happens at the birth when the sinner comes to faith in Christ. There's a transformation, but there's an ongoing transformation that is also to take place. Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. As we think about the Gospel of John, whether it be the Gospel of John or other books, but we're talking about the Gospel of John, keep in mind that the Gospel of John must be seen as a whole. The Gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it talks about Christ and who He is. The book ends with Christ dying, coming from the dead, demonstrating that what was stated at the beginning of the book was true. Between John 1 and John 20 and 21, we find Jesus does miracles. He heals people. He teaches. They're all demonstrating that who he claimed to be in John 1 is true. And also, what he claims at the end of the book with his resurrection is true. John says in John 20, just listen as I read, Jesus did other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. So John writes so that his readers might know that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life. Then we go back to chapter 1. We find that the text clearly says the Word was God. The Word was Creator. He's light. He's the Lamb of God and so on. In chapter 2, he changed the water into wine. He clears the temple in chapter 2. In light of that, let's begin reading with chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So here we have Nicodemus, a member of the ruling, Jewish ruling council, and apparently would have been aware of Jesus changing the water to wine, clearing the temple, so, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
So Nicodemus recognizes, here's Jesus. He's set apart. There's something different about him. He has to come from God. In reply, Jesus declared, I'll tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus seems to kind of deviate from Nicodemus's original concern, but he says, you know, you've got to be born again. Can't see the kingdom of God without the second birth. Well, how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that a growing man cannot be born physically a second time. Just not possible. How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus answered in verse 5, I tell you the truth. No one who enters, can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus introduces the subject of the second birth. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus responds, and then Jesus responds again. And I think as you read the passage, he's talking about the natural birth and a second birth, a spiritual birth, a birth by the Spirit. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the Spirit. Born of water, I think, born physically. Born of the Spirit, the second birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Now he brings in the issue of the Spirit. The second birth involves the Spirit of God. As John 16 later on says, the Spirit is the one who convicts. The Spirit gives the second birth. If you want to draw the parallel between physical birth and spiritual birth, a baby is born because of mom. It's not as I would tell mom, my mother, I said, I came out raring to tell the doctor what to do. That's not the way it worked, you know. It's mom's labor that gave birth. It's a mother's labor. It's the spirit's labor that gives birth to a sinner. It's not their ability. The spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised. You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it is going. So everyone born of the Spirit. See, the work of the Spirit of God in convicting and drawing and giving birth to a sinner is dependent upon the Spirit. He does the work. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still... People, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Talk to you about earthly things you don't believe. How are you going to believe if I talk to you about heavenly things about this second birth? Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. He's the one who came from heaven. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake or serpent in the desert, so I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And he goes on to speak about God's love for the world and so on. But he talks about eternal life. What happens? The one who believes crosses from death to life. And in John 5 and verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed from death to life. Through the Spirit of God's work, there's a transformation that takes place at the second birth, that is the spiritual birth, crossing from death to life, moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's a transformation that takes place. I don't know all the medical terminology and so on, but there's literally dozens of things that take place in a baby at birth so that they can move from the mother's womb to live outside the mother's womb. What do they do when they come out? Mother's womb. They give that cry or whatever. I'm not going to try to describe it. And they start to breathe. Now what happens if you breathe in the mother's womb? Not going to survive. There's a transformation that takes place there. They go from living by mom's nutrients to yank or crying and carrying on because they want to be fed. There's a transformation. And medically understand there's dozens and dozens of things that take place at birth. Do you ever consider that spiritually? That when he sinner comes to faith in Christ, there's a second birth, and many, many things take place. Because the Spirit of God is at work. There's a transformation. Give you a couple. I mentioned you cross from death to life. You go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You go from being a sinner to being a saint, to be, from being unforgiven to being forgiven from being a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness, from being a child of the enemy, Satan, to a child of God. And I could go on with probably dozens and dozens of other things, the transformation that takes place at birth. We could turn to Acts 2. We could turn to Romans 6. We could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we find that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they're a new creature in Christ.
What is the immediate transformation? There's a relationship with God. Because John says, or Jesus says, but John is writing, the one who believes has eternal life. And in John 17, Jesus says, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And the idea of know is relationship intimacy, interacting with one another. There's a relationship with God. Entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a transformation. Entering into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, Philippians 2. And there's a new nature. Please understand that salvation, the new birth, is not merely escaping hell and going to heaven. It's a transformation for the one who repents of sin and trusts in Christ due to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because a relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and a new nature. That's true of everyone that is born again. But God desires, and I wouldn't say merely God desires, God works to the end that then there is an ongoing transformation. Romans 6 talks about the fact that we died to sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the fact that we are going from glory to glory. Let's take our Bibles and turn for a few moments to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, Paul is writing to those who have been born again, those who've experienced the second birth, because in verse 1 he says, Paul, Silas, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So he's writing to those who've been born again, those who've experienced the second birth. Chapter 2 and verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Saints united with Christ. If you have any comfort from his love, saints loved by God can't be separated from that love. If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. He begins in verse 1, encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, fellowship with the Spirit. And then if you have any tenderness and compassion, be like-minded writing to a group of believers. He says, now be like-minded. Think similarly. Don't be at odds. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Don't do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. What's he talking about? You're over here and you're in the saint category. You're in the life category. You're in the redemption category. Now he says, live it the way you relate to the body, the way you relate to other believers. And then in verses 5 through 11, he gives the example of Christ. 
who was willing to humble himself and become obedient. You know, have a servant's heart. Have an attitude of that which Christ had. Look at verse 12 then. Therefore, in light of being united with Christ, in light of comfort from his love, in light of the example of Christ, in light of Christ and what he did, now that you're related to him just as he served humanity, I want you to respond the same way. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Continue. The Philippians were already doing it. He says, continue to work out your salvation. We're over here in the life category. Move from death to life. We're saints. Now he says, work that out. Live it out. As a boss, as an owner, as an employee, as a student, as a teacher, as a shopper, as a driver, as a bill payer, and so on. Work it out. And then he says, with fear and trembling. And as you study to the flow of the text, the fear and trembling there is not I'm scared of God. I'm going to get zapped if I don't respond to him. The fear and trembling is the idea of here is one who paid for my sin. I have a deep reverence and respect for him. I don't want to hurt him at all. I want to be sensitive. I can't believe that Christ would get, move me from death to life, sinner to saint. But he did. He humbled himself and became obedient. I want to be responsive to him. I want to live out this salvation that I have with him because he's done so much. I just can't grasp that someone could love me so much. I want to be sensitive to him. I want to work out my salvation. As a kid growing up, <clears throat> I'm only giving an example from my own life. I didn't obey my parents because I was afraid of spankings. I got at least one in my life. And as I moved into my teen years, I wasn't afraid of mom and dad's discipline. I wasn't afraid dad was going to say, you can't have the car Saturday night because you did this. You can't go see Ruthann because of that. You can't go with here because of something else. My fear was that as I, dad gave me the car and I was driving my parents' car, that I would not hurt them by how I treated it because they loved me so much and they cared for me and they wanted me to grow up to be a godly young man. So as I drove the car, I'd say, well, how does dad want me to respond to this? Because I don't want to hurt my father and my mother. 
That is much different than thinking, well, if I take this car home and there's not enough rubber in the tires, dad might get me, make me buy new tires. That wasn't the issue. And I think that's where Paul is coming from here. There's, Christ has come and given so much. He says, now work out your salvation with that fear and trembling. Because it's God who is working you to will and act according to his good purpose. God is at work in us to accomplish his purpose. I think back years ago, getting married to Ruth Ann, I was pretty selfish. Wasn't mean and mass, nasty and so on, but you know, I was pretty selfish. Anyone knows that a one-word answer is sufficient. Ruth Ann thought 50 words were needed. Anyone knows that if you tell a woman that you love her when you're dating, you don't need, need, need to ever tell her again after you get married. That was kind of my mindset. But what has God been doing? He's been working in my life. He's been transforming me. I think Ruth Ann would say, Dan's not the same guy he was 41 years ago when we get married. He's changed in a lot of ways. That's God at work in me as I work out my salvation. God forbid if I get down home and someone says, Dan, you're just like you were, and the way you respond to Ruth Ann after you, as when, when you get married, that I'm not being transformed. He says, work out your salvation. Please understand that there's an initial transformation that takes place at birth. And there's an ongoing transformation, as First and Second Peter and Hebrews would say, as Revelation 2 and 3 say. So what is the ongoing transformation? Changing beliefs, thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions is normal. I don't think about driving the same way I did 30 years ago. I don't think about finances the same way as I did 40 years ago. Transforming. Stagnation is abnormal. Stagnation is abnormal. Content in Christ, but a passion to experience Christ. I'm loved by God. I'm accepted in Christ. But I want to be more like Christ. The Lord disciplines. That should be disciplines those he loves. He moves us from glory to glory. And there's just changing desires that become normal. Because God gave us a second birth, there's a transformation. Because we have that second birth, there's ongoing transforming. Because we work out our salvation and God is at work in us. Normal babies grow. Normal Christians are transformed from glory to glory. Going to sing together, Be Thou My Vision. And as we sing together, Be Thou My Vision, think about, is Christ my vision? Is God my vision? Is that who I want to be sensitive to as Travis comes?